turning towards fall weather here in Missoula. I hear it's going to be the last day of nice summer weather here. So Wednesday late in September. That means it's football weather, and that also means it's Big Sky Conference soccer weather. This is Soccer and Snow and Smoke. I'm Andrew Houghton. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is brought to you by Blackfoot Communications, Cami Tap House and Coffee, and Zootown Sports Cards. And joining me as we're getting into some Big Sky Conference play is head coach Chris Chiavitsky of the Montana Grizzlies. Montana coming off their first weekend of conference play, went on the road, beat Sac State, lost to Portland State, heading home to play Eastern Washington and Idaho this week. And coach, I figured this was just about the perfect time for a catch-up. How you been doing? Good. Um, besides the cold that I picked up from my kids, my sinuses were destroyed. Now that's working my its way through my assistant coaches. Team has had it. We're, we're all trying to get over that right now. Well, not the way that you want to start conference play. You sound pretty good for... Oh yeah, I'm back. You haven't been in here in a month. We talked with you a little bit after the start of your season, um, the Rumble in the Rockies. I just want to start here. Let's talk about how you've seen the team change since then, because things can happen really quickly. Yeah, no, uh, it's been that long, huh? It has been that long now that I think about it. Um, let's see, what has changed? Um, well, yeah, when, when you leave a weekend like, like this one, you're obviously going to be annoyed that you dropped a game. But if you watch the Portland State game back, we played better in that game than we did against Sacramento. And it's just the nature of our sport where even when we did score and go up 1-0 against Portland, it got pulled back for offside. You watch it back, clearly not. And at that point, we're still playing well. Sky hits the bar, it comes down, it bounces out. We created so many good looks compared to the previous game because we did not play well in that one. And then, of course, we get scored on a counter and the game goes away from us. So um, overall, to be honest, yeah, I'm annoyed at being 1-1. One one, but did we improve from Sacramento to Portland? 100% we did. And we're in a better spot now going into this weekend. And what a crazy first weekend in the conference, too, because the team that was picked ahead of you in the preseason polls, Northern Colorado, had plenty of struggles as well. They were playing the same two teams, actually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And they end up losing both those games. So it's wild right now. I'm not really sure what's going on in the universe, but you see the same thing happening in all these other conferences, too, where you've got the teams who have not performed necessarily well in non-conference are turning it on when it matters. What a welcome in the conference play. And from watching it, I think... You guys learned a couple lessons about conference play, which first is that these teams, a lot of them, their mission is going to be just to make things hard on you guys, mm-hmm. right? That's going to be the way they play. It's like, you know, I always think about baseball. When you're facing a great pitcher, you don't want to go up there and, and score five runs on them in the first inning. You do, but you're not going to be able to. You want to make things hard on them. You know, taking a pitch, fouling some pitches off is a good at bat, even if you get out at the end. Same for these teams. I mean, I think Portland State, Sac State, if they're keeping you scoreless for a half, every time they clear the ball and force you guys to reset, every time that they're able to counter and get on the ball in your half, even if it's just for a couple minutes, if it's not sustained, those are wins for them, right? 100%. Those are massive wins because we do the same thing when we play upper-level teams, right? It's how long can you keep this team frustrated? How long can you keep them off the board and try to do it late like we did against Pitt when you guys uh, when you were out watching our game there? But... Um, And that's what was so frustrating against Portland, to be able to go up 1-0 in the 10th minute, knowing that you're going to take the game away from them, to have that pulled back on us. And then when you see it back again, and you see that that's the dagger in the soul, because clearly it was a goal. But yeah, all of a sudden the game just stays 0-0 for a long time. Now they get one right before I have time, and it just changes the complexity of the whole thing. I think that's one of the big things that's that's different about conference. I think one of the other big lessons that you learn sort of in a positive manner in conference play is that even when you do have that struggle and you're frustrated, sometimes in conference and probably a lot more than in non-conference, you're going to be able to win games 
because of your talent advantage, because of one player making a play. And that's what we saw with the winner, certainly against Sacramento State. Yeah, exactly. With Sky's ability just to turn somebody and go. Um, she is unbelievable. And that's still a kid that you're trying to figure out. Should she play as a winger? Should she play as a center forward? Or does she play based on the matchup? Because it clearly became evident towards the second half that if we just put Sky through the middle with her pace right there, they're not going to be able to keep up with her. Hence the tactical change to put her into that spot, knowing that give her one ball. It doesn't even have to be into space. Give her one ball into feet, let the kid turn and run. They're not going to catch her. And it worked out quite well. Yep, and that was Skyly Thompson's goal, I think, in the 70th minute or around there to give Montana a comeback 2-1 win against Sacramento State in their Big Sky Conference opener. Went down the first half on a penalty kick, got it back right at the end of the first half, Bill O'Brien, which is what a, a goal. Yeah, name that hasn't been said a lot this year. Yeah, um, Coming off the bench with a good goal, and then Skyly Thompson, like he said, just got the ball into her feet, turns the center back, beats her, and is quick enough so that the fullback can't come into the play yeah. either. And it's, it's a really good finish from her, from somebody who's struggled a little bit finishing. Mm-hmm. And then you guys go on the road to Portland State, which is a team coming off a 1-0 win over Northern Colorado, which was picked number one in the preseason poll. Really frustrating in that one. You mentioned, you know, the game state scoring early, thinking you're going to be in control and having that goal marked off for offside. And then they score, and they were able to to just frustrate you guys in the second half. And you, you had yeah. plenty of chances, too. Which, which was the one that you really wanted to have back in the second half? Oh, um, I would say that lies 45 seconds where we finally get that perfect ball in from sitting behind their back line on the ground and Massman gets a foot on it, but the goalkeeper just made a save. And at the end of the day, you've got to recognize there's an opponent and that opponent might have key special players and that goalkeeper was special that day. She made some absolutely incredible saves. And so I couldn't be angry at Molly or Sydney or anybody in that case. It's just that sometimes you just got to say, well done. And I managed to catch up with a lot of that team after the game. And number eight, who scored against us, I thought she scored an absolutely beautiful goal, didn't give up on that play, ran through, scored. And then the goalkeeper, same, same thing for, for her, just high praise for an absolutely incredible performance against us. Montana Grizzlies head coach Chris Chitovitsky on soccer and snow and smoke. A little catch up here as the Grizzlies are going into Big Sky Conference play. Soccer and Stone Smoke is brought to you as always by Zootown Sports Cards, as well as Canby Tap House and Blackfoot Communications. So thank you to all our sponsors. Coach, what did you say after that Portland State game to, to the team? I mean, what did you try to identify to move forward with? Yeah. Um, funny, because it was after Sacramento. We get to Portland. That night we fly out. So the next day we have a meeting in the hotel and we look back at some film. And I'm like, these are the areas that we have to improve in. And you have to realize that even though you're a higher seed, you're a better team, you can't have that weight of expectation. The reason that SAC was in the game because they played with freedom and risk, and they said, we're not expected to win anyway, so who cares, we're going after this team, right? There's nothing to lose here. When you have something to lose, you play too tense, too tight. So we're going into Portland State, we're not gonna play tense, we're not gonna play tight, we're gonna try to play our game and see where it goes. And of course they do that, and all of a sudden we lose because of it, right? So um, I wouldn't say we lost because of we played that way, but we just got caught on a counter, but they played Beautiful soccer. And that was the piece at the end of the game is go home, be pissed off, be angry about it. Just please realize you still played really well. And let's take that momentum going forwards. How do you manage that line between freedom and initiative, asking the players to show initiative, I think, on the field and mm -hmm. asking them to play creatively and play in their own heads mm -hmm. and, and also, you know, having them do what you need them to do yeah. on the field, right? No, that's a great question. Anybody in the back line and that holding midfield position, you have less creative freedom, sure. right? I don't need you trying to juggle the ball out of the back Charlie Boone, but when you have 
a Mesa and a Sydney and a Detta and a Bella playing in a game and not taking risks to play the proper through balls, our attacking midfielders not trying to take people on, not bravely turning and trying to create something, and Ford's doing the same thing, that becomes a problem. And so Sky, kudos to her, Sydney reads the play correctly, pops it off over into Sky, who then has the brave moment of, I'm going to take this center back on, even though I'm back to goal, I'm going to try to get around, I'm going to try to score, I'm going to go one-on-one. Perfect. And then same thing, we play ball down the line into Matty Ditto, who 1v1 in the corner, doesn't look to lay it off, said, I'm going to try to beat this kid right now, cross the ball, and there's Bella O'Brien on her weaker foot taking the risk to try to score. Those players, when they don't play with creative freedom, that suffocates us and kills the game. And they were the ones that were hurting us the most to start the game. It's like, where is your creativity? Where is your flow? Why do you keep getting it and playing it back to our center back? We're not creating any chances in this game. All the chances came after we got scored on because they were like, well, we've got to do something now. And there it was. Yeah, it's all about, you know, really, it's, it's a, creativity and, and flow and everything. Really, it's about ambition to try stuff like mm-hmm, that, right? Mm-hmm, and you're talking mm-hmm. about Maddie Ditta for the first goal against Sacramento State. Yes. I mean, I think she turned the fullback three or four times before exactly. she was able She took her on three or four times before yes. she was able to get the cross in there. And that's just the ambition of saying, well, I think I have an advantage on this player. Yes. Let me try to work that into something bigger exactly. that creates an advantage for the whole team. A couple more overarching things for for your team that I'm just watching and have been curious about. Mm-hmm. You're still trying to figure out. You talked about you've got a lot of creative players on on the field on on the team. You're still trying to figure out. It looks like to me what the alignment is of that front three or front four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really depends on who we're playing against, right? So you start looking at scouts on Idaho, and is that. Sky through the middle? Is it Delaney through the middle? How high is that press going to be? Is the press extremely high? Does that leave room in behind? So should Sky play through the middle in this game? Or are we going to play somebody who's going to drop into their 18 like they do at times defensively? So now we have to hit longer balls into the box. There should it be Delaney in there. Cool little piece that we noticed because, of, again, player feedback. I've got Ava and Kayla playing next to each other right now until we get all our healthy outside backs back. And they said, we want to play with Sydney. I think we flow better with Sydney as our attacking midfielder. And can we play with her to start the game against Portland State? Put her in there. They were unbelievable down the left-hand side of the field, playing so well together. And so, yeah, trying to still figure it out because it's. I feel like you need a lot of time to get it right. Yeah, I mean, how much does it? do you think, and Coulter asked me about this on the radio the other day, it takes so much time to get used to players, right? And exactly. you're doing it. You've got a lot of new players in this year. I mean, Skelly Thompson's played... A little bit last year, but Mesa Walters is all new this year. Yes, Delaney Lou Shore is playing a lot more this year, I think, than she did last year. Yeah. Kayla and Mushmaker, obviously, on the left, completely new. Have you seen them improve that chemistry? I mean, how how much time do you think it takes? Yeah, no, you've definitely seen it improve, hundred uh, percent, especially in this last game where you saw that Kayla Ava uh, connection with Sydney on that side of the field. I thought it was unbelievable, and then yeah. I just feel like it's all the center back partnership seems to be there. The goalkeeper works there because the injuries that we've had at outside back, it's been a little choppy in there at times, but it's coming back together now with everyone coming back to full health. So yeah, to be honest, once Allie Henriksen's back, once Molly Quarry's back, those two puzzle pieces that have been gone. And now you had Jaden Griggs coming back, where she's had some um, small issues with her back and she's got finally that taken care of more depth up front in the winger role. And the stability that I've been looking for in the back. So you're telling me that you are expecting all of those pieces back at some point? Within a week or two, yeah. Allie Henriksen, of course, the young 
outside back who's been starting at right back, I think, a, a lot early in the season. Molly Query, who can back her up and also back up the center backs. Yes. Um, and then Jaden Griggs, who's a, really one of the most experienced players on the team as a, as a winger, mostly. Yeah, exactly. And she's been out the whole time because of some back issues. So Jaden's coming back. But yeah, definitely been missing. We've been patching holes in the back right now in the outside back role. And that does, because we play through those outside backs often, it does, it puts one, slows the game down a little until they can all catch up to the way that we want to play there. But now they're playing 90 minutes. You have to play 90 minutes against Sacramento, and you have to play 90 minutes against Portland, and you've flown on the plane, and we've slept little. So it, it starts to bite you a little bit in the 80th, 85th, 90th minute of a game. Chris Chitovitsky joining me for a little soccer and snow and smoke breakdown of the Montana Grizzlies soccer team. The Grizz, after a great non-conference schedule, they played really close against Pitt and Portland, two teams who are ranked or close to it. They were unbeaten against four Mountain West teams. They got great wins against North Dakota State, Cal State Bakersfield. Glad great you no- remember that. I forgot that one. <laughs> that was the uh, play-by-play debut of Andrew Houghton. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we should be talking about your play-by-play debuts. Because I was in, I have to say this on air. I know I said it to you privately. But there's a gentleman in Sacramento who's been donating to the program since the 90s. And he always writes to Joel, our sports info director after games, and he's like, the quality of the audio is bad, and the quality of the film is bad, and just, he's always the first one to complain if something goes wrong with the technology. And yet, I flew out to Sacramento, and we saw him, because he drives an hour and a half from San Francisco, or wherever it is, just to watch us play, and he's amazing. And he brings us jelly beans and stuff. So, he's there, after the game, he's talking to the team, and he's like, you know what, Chris? The two guys that are on there right now Never heard anything better from Grizz Soccer before. So there's a compliment to you guys because you're crushing it right now. It's been a really interesting experience for me. This is something that came about just out of the blue. Joel Carlson texted me and asked me if I'd be interested in doing play-by-play, filling in for Jackson Wagner, who's the regular play-by-play guy on that Cal State Bakersfield game. You know, I've never done anything like that before for any sport, certainly not for soccer. But I said, you know, I'll I'll give it a try and, and came up and it went okay and I've joined Jackson as a color commentator for a couple more games hoping to do that throughout the season when I can it's been really interesting and fun and of course a big shout out to Jackson Wagner who's uh, a guy who's a good friend of mine and he's doing a great job as the play-by-play guy makes it really easy for me and a, a big shout out to Joel and Nate and all the other guys who make that work so it's been exciting to bring that to to people yeah. because I know there are a lot of people watching that. Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of people watching it and it elevates the level of it because it's not just him by himself. I think there's so much more to a commentary duo who, because of your guys' pr- previous relationship, knowing each other, you can just bounce off each other. It's fluid. It's not choppy. It's not static. It's, hey, this and then this and then, and then it just goes and it's just like watching a game with two people who are telling you about it who know a lot about it. So it's it's amazing. Yeah, it feels it feels really natural, which I was surprised by, never having done anything like that. The one moment that like really freaked me out in that Bakersfield game was of course that was Eliza Bentler's first ever goal. Yeah. For the for the kid from Billings who's been getting a lot of good minutes. And it was a great goal and I thought I did okay on the call. But you think about it and you're like, oh, every time she watches that highlight or her family watches that highlight or her fans watches the yeah. highlight, it's <clears throat> It's my voice in there, which is kind of cool and kind of also terrifying a little bit. But Well, extra pressure on you. I do clip it, and I send that to him, and I say, that's for you and your family, and right. I want you to keep this forever. Because so, yeah. it, it is a really important memory, and I, of yeah. course, remember Eliza Bentler just losing her mind after that yeah. goal and, and jumping around, and it was, yeah. it was really special and cool to see. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Love that kid. So there's a little anecdote, a little look behind the scenes at, at some of the commentary I've been doing for Grizz Soccer. 
continue to tune in, of course. Not this weekend. I'll be on the road in Pocatello watching Ooh. American football. <laughs> no, so you got, you got to go. You got to go. Grizz are on fire right now. So go to watch that. Chris Chitovitsky of Montana Soccer joining me. The other tactical thing that I wanted to ask you about, um, and maybe you can explain the tactics behind this a little bit, but the one definite way that I can identify what you think of the team that you're playing is whether you're playing the single pivot or the double pivot in midfield. That's the first thing I look for, right? And a a lot of times, I would say almost entirely in conference, unless you're trying to kill off a game, it's going to be the single pivot defensive midfielder. Mm -hmm. But it it just makes things really easy to to tell what you think of the game. Yes, yeah. And even NDSU, we ended up in the double pivot at the end because um, you could see that they were starting to attack central spaces. Everything started going in towards their forwards and just into the forwards' feet, into the forwards' feet. And I just said to Damien and Ashley, I'm like, watch this, we're just going to switch into the two. And we switch into the two, and they continue just trying to force it into that space. But now we're picking everything off, and the game was done immediately. So that is my favorite go-to um, switch, because it's easy enough. It'll kill the game in certain spots, but it also kills us going forwards, because now you've removed a layer. It forces, when you're playing with two attacking midfielders, it allows full width from your wingers. When you play with one, the wingers have to start playing closer into the field. Um, otherwise, there's too much separation between everybody, as happened in Colorado State. So, um, yeah, I like it defensively, but I just I don't like what it offers us going forwards. Yeah, I thought Molly Massman played really well as the single defensive midfielder in the part of the Sacramento State game that I watched. It puts a lot of pressure because, as you sort of mentioned with the attacking midfielders, when you're the one player on that line, not only are you responsible as the defensive midfielder for stopping attacks and, and playing defensively and protecting the back line, you're responsible for advancing play up through exactly. the field. I mean, and, and you have the, the fullbacks help out there, yeah. obviously, but playing as the single pivot, it's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> and you've got to have a very deep fitness level and a very high IQ to read things before they happen. And then the knowledge to know, should I slow this thing down or can I commit to it and try to win it? You know, do we have the numbers behind to, to try to win this thing right now? And the same thing when you're getting the ball from the center backs. I mean, do you make the pass back to them and, and try to yeah. swing it around? Or can you make the turn there and, yes. and get forward? Because the defensive midfielder being able to turn and play through the lines, I mean, that's a super dangerous ball. I mean, if that comes off, that sets you guys up really well. You're probably, yes. you've got one of the attacking midfielders, or you've got one of the wingers running at speed at the back line now, if she can play that ball. But also if you turn and you lose it there, if you turn into pressure and you lose it as the single defensive midfielder, suddenly it's the same thing going the other way, right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I remember flashing back to St. Mary's a few years ago in 2018, 2019. 2019 we played at St. Mary's. And that was exactly it. Massman got caught a flat center back ball into her. She was under pressure. They couldn't read the pressing trap. And it ended up just a clear one-on-one to go with Claire Howard, and she had to make a big save. But... Yeah, the, the IQ of the center backs and that player, the scanning ability. When can I get the ball? When can I not? Where should it go? And what should I? It's, it's so much pressure on that role. And having Massman and Kat there, it's perfect. Yeah, and I thought Molly Massman played even better this weekend than she has been in that role. Um, but you do have Kathleen Aitchison as well. And that's what mm-hmm. makes it so easy to switch to the double pivot when you need to. because oh, absolutely. You, yeah. Now you got those two sitting there, and I'm like, this is the best thing ever. They're going to win everything. Well, and it makes things a lot simpler for them, too. I mean, when you're the single pivot you, and you get on the ball, you're either passing backwards or forwards. Yes. You've got to make that decision whether to be really cautious and pass it back to the center backs or to make that turn exactly. and try to get it up. 
when you've got another player on that line with you, you can play between each other a little bit, and it yeah. makes things a, a little bit simpler. Yeah, exactly. So I think they enjoy playing together, to be honest. And I enjoy seeing them there, but then I don't like sometimes the product that we have going forwards. Really limits our options. Time for a little halftime break here on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. We've been getting you caught up with head coach Chris Chitovitsky of the Montana Grizzlies. My thanks to Chris for coming on, and you can catch the rest of that interview right after this break. But now let's get everybody caught up on high school soccer around the state of Montana. I did a couple high school soccer state previews not that long ago at the end of August, checking on boys and girls soccer around the state of Montana as teams are just heading into their seasons. But time flies, and now we're just a couple weeks away from the start of the state tournaments in AA. Not even that far away from the start of the state playoffs in Class A. So let's take a look around the Treasure State and see how this season's shaking out. Starting in the boys' double-A West, where, no surprise, the Hellgate Knights are on top of the standings. Really impressive stuff from Hellgate. I talked with head coach Jay Anderson before the season, and the Knights' three-time defending state champions were losing just about every starter and every player who played significant minutes on that title team. Jay was breaking in a whole new starting lineup, but they've managed well so far. Hellgate on top of the boys' double-A West with an 8-1 and record, and I should mention here that all records and stats are updated through September 27th. So this will change if you're listening a little later in the week, but right now this is current through September 27th. And I should also mention that all standings, stats, and scores are courtesy of the greatwallsoccer.net. If you're looking for a high school prep soccer resource, to tell you everything you need to know about high school soccer in Montana. Wallsoccer.net is the place to go. So I'm getting most of this info from there, and I also talked with several coaches around the state just to get a read on how they're feeling in the middle of the season here. As I mentioned, Jay Anderson at Hellgate feeling pretty good. Knights off to an 8-1 start. They've only given up five goals this season. Three of those came in their only loss of the season, which was 3-2 to Helena Capital, away in the capital city. And in fact, Helena Capital right up there with the Knights at the top of the Boys AA Western Conference. Helena Capital played one more game than Hellgate, but they're actually level on points with the Knights, with 24 apiece and Capital actually yet to be beaten this season. The Bruins are 7-0-3 with their three draws coming against Glacier, Sentinel, and then Glacier again. And I mentioned Kalispell Glacier, the Wolfpack, hanging right up there with those two teams as well. They have just one loss, but they're 5-1-3, and three, so on 18 points. Glacier, as I mentioned, drew capital twice. Drew with Sentinel as well in Missoula and lost to Hellgate. Those three teams looking like the class of the Western Conference for boys soccer. And Sentinel has also been able to pull out a couple good results, as I mentioned. Drew with capital and Drew with Glacier. Some of the top players in the Class AA West. Gunnar Shoemate is carrying Helena Capital with eight goals and seven assists. Luke Olson's got seven goals for Sentinel. Tim Scott putting together a good season for Hellgate with nine goals. The Knights had their top scorer, Cameron Newbold, go down with an injury early in the season. So they're trying to deal with that as well as breaking in an entirely new starting lineup. The real story for the Knights has been sophomore Brady Reed, who's a guy who's gotten... Some buzz around town. He's a guy who's been involved in regional camps and, in fact, even national camps for the United States Olympic Development Program, ODP. You'll hear about that. Brady Reed's a guy who's broken out on the national stage coming out of Missoula, just a sophomore for Hellgate. Five goals and a state-high 16 assists for the sophomore. So he's one to watch, certainly, going forward, but also this year. 
and it's been Harrison Sanders, a senior, carrying the load for Kalispell Glacier, seven goals and seven assists. Moving on to the Eastern AA boys, this gets my vote as one of the biggest high school sports stories across the entire state. Doesn't matter which sport, but what a dogfight it's been in the Eastern AA. Bozeman, Billings Sr., Bozeman Gallatin, and Billings West. One, two, three, four in that order, separated by three points. The Bozeman Hawks, of course, as you'd expect, been the power in that side of the state for so long. The Hawks are at the top of those standings with 21 points, but they drew with Billings West and lost to Billings Senior early in the season, so they don't have a ton of breathing room there because Billings Senior is right on their tail. Bozeman's 7-1-1, Senior's 6-1-2, with that loss coming to Bozeman Gallatin and draws against Billings West and Great Falls High. Bozeman Gallatin 6-2-1 with two losses to Billings West and Bozeman and then a recent draw against Billings West. So look at the improvement from Bozeman Gallatin in their first game of the season. Lost 6-0 away at Billings West, but in one of their most recent games, hosted the Golden Bears in Bozeman and drew 1-1. So that's a team that's making big strides. And then Billings West is also right up there. Golden Bears only have one loss on the season. That came 1-0 to Bozeman. Just last week, the Golden Bears, I think, probably propelled a little bit by that 6-0 season opening win over Gallatin. Actually have the best goal differential out of all of those four teams. So what an incredible race for those top spots in the Eastern AA boys. All of those teams, it looks like, capable of beating each other. Bozeman on top for right now, but the Hawks have five games left. They'll have to play Senior and Gallatin one more time, although both those games at home. Aiden Roos, a senior, leading the Hawks with nine goals. Bozeman Gallatin's got a great score of their own, and sophomore Oliver Betcher, 11 goals for the youngster there to lead the Raptors. 11 goals also for Lucas Thompson, another sophomore over at Billings Senior. He's added five assists, and it's been Owen Guthridge, seven goals and five assists, and also Ethan Hallway, six goals and six assists, carrying the load for Billings West. Keep an eye on that race in the Eastern AA boys. It should go down to the wire. Moving over to the girls' standings in the Western AA. Just like with the boys, it's Hellgate on top. And in fact, the Knights girls' team, led by head coach Natalie Hiller-Claridge, unbeaten so far this season. Eight wins, no losses, one tie. Their only tie came in a crosstown game against Sentinel, and that was their most recent game. So just last weekend, a 0-0 draw. Bit of a surprising result there, because Sentinel only 3-3-3 on the season, but you never know what will happen in those crosstown games. Helena High right on the tail of the Hellgate Knights. In the Western AA girls' standings, the Bengals 8-2-0 with their losses coming at Sentinel and at Hellgate. So Sentinel has tied the top team in the conference, beaten the second-best team in the conference, but the Spartans struggling to stay consistent. Aside from a Hellgate loss in their first contest against the Knights, Sentinel also with losses to Capital and Glacier. Over on the other side is town, Missoula Big Sky having a nice season, too. The Eagles are 6-2-1 through nine games. Good goal differential of plus 24. The Eagles had trouble with Helena and with Hellgate, but they've handled business really well in their other games. Some statistical leaders for the Western AA girls. Helena High's got a high-powered offense with the Todorovic sisters, Logan and Madeline, who are track stars as well. Two of the fastest female athletes, I think, in the state. Logan Todorovic, a junior, nine goals and 11 assists. How about that? Madeline Todorovic, six goals and six assists. She's not even the second highest scorer on the team. Tess Lawler, a senior, 11 goals. And Avery Kraft, a junior, added 10 goals and seven assists for Helena High. So the Bengals are putting up big individual numbers. For Hellgate, it's been Carmen Anderson, a junior forward, 
and a leader on a really young team, putting up one of the best seasons across the entire state. I'd put her season statistically up with anybody in the state, boys or girls. 12 goals and 12 assists for Carmen Anderson at Hellgate. She's been backed up by junior Riley Lumpkin, 10 goals, 7 assists. Reagan Brizendine is carrying Kalispell Glacier, 19 goals and 4 assists. Stats say the Wolfpack only have 33 goals on the season, so one player, Reagan Brizendine, has 19 of those. That's how you know you're having a good season. Two other big scorers at Missoula Big Sky we talked about. The Eagles are having a good year. They haven't really been able to be competitive with Hellgate or Helena, but they've been beating up on everybody else. And Avery Decoit, 17 goals and 14 assists. What a story there. She's just a freshman, and she's got a bit of a old and young partnership going with senior McKenna George. 16 goals for the Eagles. Some numbers jumping off the page, certainly, for individual stats in the Western AA for the girls. Moving over to the eastern side of the state. Again, got plenty of talent over there. Billings West is the defending state champions, but the Golden Bears are down in fourth place, and it's the team that fell to Billings West in last year's AA state championship game. That's setting the pace right now. Bozeman Gallatin undefeated. Seven wins, two ties for the Raptors. They've only given up four goals. They've drawn with Billings Senior and then also the team that's chasing them in the standings. Billings Skyview currently in second place. Skyview's got seven wins, same as the Raptors, but they've also got a loss in there. That loss came to the defending state champion. Billings West Golden Bears won nothing earlier in the season. And they've also drawn with Gallatin. So the Falcons looking good there. Bozeman High also having a good season. Five wins, three losses, one tie. And Billings West, as I mentioned, the defending state champions in fourth place right behind the Hawks. Individual stats from the Eastern AA girls. Not quite as many eye-popping lines as there were on the western side of the state except for one. How about Bozeman Gallatin's Olivia Collins? The senior 26 goals right now for the Raptors in just nine games to go along with five assists. Emery Streets, a sophomore, has added 11 goals, 7 assists for the Raptors. Ursula Vlasas carrying the load for Bozeman, 9 goals and 5 assists. B. Bentler, just a junior for Billings Senior, 12 goals and 3 assists. And just a guess here that she's related to Montana Grizzlies forward. Eliza Bentler, I don't know for sure, but just a guess there. Eliza Bentler was a high-scoring forward at Billings Senior who's now getting minutes in her freshman year for the Montana Grizzlies. B. Bentler, I don't know the relation, whether they're sisters or not, but she's taken over the scoring load for Billings Senior. 12 goals already so far. Charlie's Davis at Billings Skyview, 9 goals and 2 assists. And that just about wraps things up for a look at Class AA soccer across the state. Both Hellgate teams on top in the AA Western Conferences. In the East, it's an absolute dogfight on the boys' side, with four teams, I think, still contending for that number one seed, that conference championship going into the state tournament, and a new power maybe emerging on the Eastern AA girls' side with Bozeman Gallatin leading those standings. Before we look at Class A, a quick word about one of our great sponsors, Soccer and Snow and Smoke is brought to you in part by Blackfoot Communications. So grateful to Blackfoot Communications for sponsoring and supporting everything that they sponsor and support here at the Missoula Broadcasting Company. As well as at Skyline Sports, they allow us to do a lot of cool things from some of the great content that you hear on Nuanas now to everything that we put out at Skyline Sports to now. This podcast, Soccer and Snow and Smoke, whatever your internet and communication needs, whether it's business or personal, get in touch with Blackfoot Communications, www.blackfoot.com. Your reliable local internet provider, Blackfoot Communications, where they believe that connections matter. Class A on the boys' side, it's all about Columbia Falls and Whitefish. The Whitefish Bulldogs coming off an incredible run. 
Four straight years not only of state championships, but of undefeated seasons. But the Columbia Falls Wildcats were ranked number one in Class A coming into this season. And it was Columbia Falls who drew first blood in that rivalry, beating the Bulldogs 2-1 earlier in the season. The Wildcats undefeated at 8-0. The Bulldogs right behind them at 7-1. They've combined to give up just seven goals all season. And it was a dogfight, no doubt, in that game between those two teams early in the season. Columbia Falls head coach O'Brien Bird told me, His team's playing better than even he could have expected going into the season. They were able to hold possession against Whitefish in that game and get those two goals, but the Bulldogs had plenty of chances themselves. Those two teams will play again Thursday, September 29th. So one day after I'm releasing this podcast, that'll be homecoming up at Columbia Falls, probably the biggest game, the biggest regular season game at least, in all of Class A boys soccer this year. So all those two teams are battling for the Northern Conference. It's been Missoula Loyola in the South. The Rams 4-1-2 overall, but 4-0-1 in conference play. Hamilton right behind them, and then in the East, Livingston and Billings Central tied for first with identical 3-0-1 conference records. Finley Sundberg and Kai Golan are carrying Columbia Falls. Junior forward Cooper Davis having a great season for Laurel. Laurel struggling a little bit, but Cooper Davis leading Class A with 16 goals. On the girls' side in Class A, how about the Whitefish Bulldogs? 8-0 through 8 games. The Bulldogs yet to concede multiple goals in a game. They're running away with the Northern Conference, although Big Fork pretty good as well. 4-2-1 for Big Fork and in fact Columbia Falls at 5-3-0. Also a good team up out of the North. Hamilton and Stevensville fighting for the Southern Conference Championship. Hamilton at 5-0-1, Stevensville at 4-1-2. And And Corvallis is in there as well at 4-2-1. But the real state title contenders in Class A look like Whitefish in the North and then the great rivals in the Eastern Conference, Laurel and Billings Central. Laurel moving to 8-0-1 earlier in the week and a perfect 5-0 in conference. Billings Central 8-1 overall, 4-1 in conference. Their only loss, of course, to Laurel. Laurel drew an out-of-conference game with Big Fork out of the North, so that says something about how good the competition is up there in the North as well, with Big Fork not even leading their conference, drawing the defending state champions in Laurel. Statistical leaders for the girls in Class A, we knew this season was going to be all about Maya Mack of Laurel, all-class scoring record in her sights, of course. A senior this year, she's been as good as ever. 20 goals, 9 assists for Maya Mack of Laurel through their 9 games. Probably going to go down as one of the greatest players in Montana soccer history. For the undefeated Whitefish Bulldogs, it's junior Olivia Genovese, 18 goals in the Bulldogs' eight matches. Senior Brooke Roberts, sophomore Delaney Smith also chipping in for Whitefish. Billing Central's got two great goal scorers as well, with the senior Abby Derbyshire and the freshman Amaya Lorash. 16 goals for Derbyshire, 15 for Lorash. And the final one to mention here, a sophomore down at Hamilton, Hannah Hughes with 14 goals for the Bronx. There we go, a long, comprehensive look at high school soccer around the state of Montana. Standing, statistical leaders, who's jockeying for playoff position with just a couple weeks to go before the Class AA state tournaments start, and just over a week until the Class A state playoffs begin as well, so we're coming down to the business end of the season. That's everything you need to know. We'll be right back with more from my great interview with Montana Grizzlies head coach Chris Chitovitsky on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. But first, a word about another one of our great sponsors. Canby Tap House and Coffee has two great locations in the Garden City. One in the Sawmill District and one right down there on South Higgins Avenue, right across from South Campus Stadium where the Grizzlies play their home games. 
Fall is the season to flourish at Canby Tap House. Stop into either location and enjoy an adult beverage from their great selection of beers and wines, or maybe just something from off their menu. I've been hitting up the Canby Tap House down there on South Higgins after some of these Montana Grizzlies soccer games. And let me tell you, it's a great place to relax, catch up with friends, whether that's pre or post game. Thanks to Canby Tap House and Coffee for sponsoring soccer and snow and smoke. Now more with Montana Grizzlies head coach Chris Chitovitsky. Chris Chitovitsky of the Montana Grizzlies soccer team. He's the head coach of the Grizz. You know that, of course, if you've been listening to this podcast by now. But he's joining us to talk a little bit about Montana's start to the conference schedule. Eastern Washington, I think, and then Idaho this week, or maybe I have those backwards. Uh, but yeah. Idaho yep. and then Eastern Washington yep. this week coming to Missoula. Anything that you've noticed from those two teams? Yeah. Um, Idaho playing that four four two diamond of theirs. They did it a few years back. They, they always bounce between a couple things, but they're very good in that diamond. Comfortable swinging around the back, comfortable playing through it. They've just got two very dynamic forwards that make life difficult. And then Eastern have, they're a very young, youthful, energetic team. And it's when the ball played through and off you go, there's so much speed up top that they just want to be able to just rip through you as soon as you turn the ball over. So both games, you need to be very careful in possessions. If you give it away, the amount of speed up top can really hurt you. Let's talk about Idaho a little bit more because it seems like, you know, you have some familiarity with the diamond that they're playing. You've seen it before. How much does that help you having that as a coach, but how much also does that maybe trap you into thinking that you know the way that they're going to play? Yeah, um, we played it ourselves. It was our secondary formation. So instead of a 4-3-3, in 2019, we were a 4-2-3-1 4 diamond. And then for the COVID season, we started with the diamond, played with the diamond, and would drop into a 4-2-3-1 if we had to. So super familiar with how it defends, and that's where I think we have a slight leg up. But now you start thinking, if I know the pressing traps that you're going to set, and I've seen them in film and how you want to get it, um, what would be your response to my response? Because the big sky never used to have that. It never used to be that. I would be able to say, I see what you're doing. Here's my counter to it. And you would just be like, well, that's the end of that game. Like NDSU, we went into two pivots. They just continued forcing it right into our two pivots. Thanks. You shouldn't have done that. You should have changed your idea. They didn't. Um, And the big sky is now starting to, if I change, they'll all of a sudden change. And then you're like, oh, okay. Now I need a plan B (laughs) because I didn't expect you to do that. And so... Yeah, I don't. I, I'm comfortable in how we're going to potentially build out of this one and the spaces that we're going to try to attack. But if they decide to change what they're doing, I'm not sure what they're going to change it, and they got to figure it out. Let's investigate that a little bit more because it's interesting you talking about the way that the league has changed, and I think probably hmm. you've seen that change in non-conference too a little bit. <clears throat> yeah, it was more heavier. It's always kind of been around in non-conference play. You always have to have a plan A and a plan B, and sometimes you're going to plan C. Washington State killed us. What was it, 2020? No, 2019, whatever season it was that we made it there again and played them. Um, No, it was 2018, where we took away with a double pivot, took away their nine, and I'm thinking, we're killing it, this is great. And, of course, they come out in the second half, they have a showing in different spaces, and now the whole game's just falling apart, and we didn't have a solution for that. And that's when I was like, I need to have a plan B every time, because that's never happening to me again. So I've always been ready for it. Conference play, it started happening, because I will talk about it with you, I'll talk about it in a press conference, I'll talk about it publicly, and people are now starting to pick up on, oh, Montana going to change, now we have to change. So it's our forceful drive of it that I think is evolving other people as well, and they're seeing it in non-conference. So the whole league's just getting better, and it's good, to be honest. Is it because the coaches are getting more ambitious and better, or is it because they have players now who are playing year-round and are able to adapt and and be versatile? I think it's a 
coaches just being more ambitious. Yeah. Yeah, of just saying, you know what, if you're going to do that, then we're going to do this and throw it out there. We would have always been pretty good at doing that type. There's some schools that are good in their flow and their tactics and others. It's just predictable. Well, I know you're going to keep doing the same thing. So if I can stop that, what else are you going to do? Nothing. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. You always got to be willing to change. And sneaky tactics from Portland State even. They would they played in a double pivot, but a very athletic one. So the weak side one will always run up and join the winger. And it was just build down this side. And I could hear him on the sideline. There's a 2v1 on the weak side, outside back. Change the point. Change the point. And they just didn't have the personnel to change the point. But if they did, they would have completely overloaded us over and over again. It was a pretty smart thing. We didn't adjust because I realized they couldn't get it there anyway. So what was the point? But very, very clever. Yeah, really interesting. Anything else that you saw from this first weekend sort of around the conference and we talked a little bit or at least we mentioned Northern Colorado falling to 0-2, mm-hmm. um, played the same two teams that you did and couldn't get a result. Anything else that you noticed? I haven't really seen NAU play yet, right? And they've had kind of a They haven't had a conference similar, game yet, I don't believe. Yeah, because they're the lone wolf. We've got lost Southern Utah. So we're the lone wolf next year. There's a surprise, right, for everybody to know. We've got that difficult schedule. Um, but they'll be playing this week, so it'll be interesting to see them. Um, yeah, Idaho looked good. Eastern looked good. Idaho State's keeping everything close. That's the one that's very interesting. Idaho State's not getting blown out. They're losing by one goal. And so... How are they going to be once they figure out some of the counter moves and everything else? I think they'll be dangerous. He's a very good coach. So the biggest, it isn't a surprise because I said it in preseason. I'll just say it again now. It's the tightest the league has ever been. Well, honestly, what on, who's, who's going to be bottom? Because I watched Weber back. Weber have lost games where they haven't played bad. They've played really well. And they're frustrated. All they need is one goal, and I think it changes their whole season. So who's going to be at the bottom? Who's missing out on playoffs? I have no idea. I could have told you last week, after week one, these teams aren't making playoffs. Comfortably, we're fine. Now, I, I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, new coach at Idaho State, I think Debs Brereton, who I worked with when I was down there, is now at Nevada. How much study do you have to do, or how much study do you like to do when it's a new coach and you're not sure of the way that they're going to play or the way that they're going to use their players? Yeah, not... Too much, you just start paying attention in non-conference play, right? And Idaho State's been keeping everything close. And then they go to Lipscomb on the road and win at Lipscomb on the road. Yep. So it's you, clearly, you're defending well. And you can hang on. If you take the lead, you can hang on to that lead and actually win a game 1-0, which is what we saw happen to us against Portland State. So again, it's very Mourinho-like almost tactic, where if they want to park the bus, they can do it, and they can do it well. So you better score, because if they get you late, I don't know if you find your way back into the game. Right. And it's, you know, you say that's slowing the game down, parking the bus or whatever, and it's a a simple tactic generally, but it's a step up from what they've been able to do in the past just to be able to do that effectively. He has, Debs created a very fluid rotational attack. And it was, that was the piece that I was most impressed with, with the way with Idaho State attacking. He has kept that rotational flow in the attack, but sacrificed a little bit of it for a bit more defensive stability. But it still has that where they were down to Eastern 1-0 and I watched the end of that game and they were playing very good soccer because they had to come out of the shell. So they had that Debs feel almost to them of they're dangerous in the attack. They could get something here in a second because they were sacrificing a little bit of that defensive stability. But they can do a little bit of everything now where last year I felt like, you know, if they score on you, it's going to be like a 3-2 game, a 2-1 game. Maybe they'll lose 6-0 game, 4-0 game, but there's going to be goals in it. Idaho State isn't goals anymore. Everything's tight. 
And so kudos to him to, uh, for actually fixing that, that entire defensive piece for them. They're going to be difficult to play against. All around the Big Sky Conference with head coach Chris Chitovitsky of the Montana Grizzlies. Grizz at 1-1 coming off their first weekend of conference play against Sac State and Portland State. Let's go all around the world. I mean, anything else that you've seen? I haven't gotten to watch a ton of soccer because my weekends are just packed right now Mm -hmm. with American football. But what have you seen? What did did you come to the table with? Oh, what I I was talking about is my son plays in the YMCA league, right? And I'm talking to one of the parents there. And topic to discuss is clearly we got a World Cup coming up in a pretty exotic, cool location. And you're like, I can't wait for this because it's so unique and it's in the winter. But at the same time, you see all these human rights violations articles coming out. And you're like, but do I support that? Do I not support that, right? <laughs> it's like, how, how, how do you back that when these types of things are happening as well? And so it's, it's a really interesting spot to be in where I can't wait to see this thing. But at the same time, it's like, come on, just treat people normally. And why, why are we having people who are building stadiums dying and then covering it up? Right. And are we supporting that by being really it. interested and excited yes. about these games? And yeah. The issue is that the World Cup is like the most corporate-driven event in the world, and these corporations have no idea how to deal with the realities of what is happening in Qatar in a realistic and and normal way, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just either completely being ignored or it's just completely awkward, and I think it is left a lot of times to individual people to determine what morally they are comfortable with and to make those decisions for themselves. Yes. Yeah. And what a topic. What a thing to just break down and try to discuss. And uh, Yeah, I'm not sure. But let's face it, this isn't the first World Cup where people have probably died building stadiums for it, right? This has happened plenty of times before, but it just seems to be more around this one of that something seems to be going on there. And again, nothing against the culture because they think they have their way of living and that's fine, but treat the people, the migrant workers that are coming over to build these things. Seems like they're not being treated as well as the citizens of the country, so to speak. Well, that's right. And it's sort of because it is tied into the construction of the stadiums, it brings up a lot of older debates about the World Cup, too, Mm -hmm. and what this is doing to host countries. I mean, you always hear stories about now, what are the stadiums that they just built in the middle of the Brazilian rainforest? Yes doing now they're falling into disrepair while you spent so much money on building those stadiums that could have gone towards helping your citizens exactly helping your people i mean that's a debate that comes up these great big sporting events which are spectacles for the entire world inevitably open up all of these debates i mean it happens every time the olympics Mm -hmm. come around yes it's certainly happening every time the world cup comes around because we had the big debate over whether this world cup would get awarded to cutter of course, the Russia World Cup. Yes. So many debates about that, and it came in the context of all this corruption and FIFA, and, and mm-hmm. it just makes it really easy to see, to sort of peel back the layers and see that everything behind it is driven by money, right? Yeah. So sad, but let's face it, that's the world that we live in. It is, at the end of the day, corporate interest. But And another issue that they have, again, you can't just say, cut it bad, cut it bad, cut it bad. They, they, they have a culture where they don't enjoy selling alcohol publicly, right. and now they're being forced to do it. They're being forced to do it against their will. They've been told, you will do it, and this is how we'll compromise. You'll have this spot. It's only open until these times. That's the only spot to do it. But 
And I, I do feel bad for them there, where they're like, all right, I guess we have to give up all of our values and beliefs when it comes to this, and I'll sacrifice our morals to allow these foreigners to come in and drink and get, do whatever they want to do in our public spaces, which we don't believe in. So, so interesting. At the end of the day, everybody is helpless before uh, the almighty dollar. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah, we've got a whole bunch of World Cup preview stuff planned here at Soccer and Snow and Smoke. I'm going to have a bunch of my favorite soccer analysts on to probably preview what's happening on the actual field. That'll probably include you, Chris, just letting you know right now. Part of it. Let's do it. Let's talk men's national team and how that's not looking good, but who knows? Plenty of time still. Plenty of time. Yeah, not sure how much to read into those two friendlies, but I mean, that's your last tune-up. You want to look good. Uh, But we'll also have, I'm sure, Justin Engel from the University of Montana Business School on here to discuss a little bit more of some of those unsavory realities of putting on an event like that. I'm trying to have Mark Cranston, U.S. Men's National Team super fan, who I know has been over in Qatar a couple times this summer and is definitely going to be over there for the World Cup just to talk about his experiences. So we'll see if that all comes off, but I've got a bunch of stuff planned for that. So we will keep talking about this on Soccer and Snow and Smoke. But Chris, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because this is going to come up on people really quickly. And if we're not talking about it before the event happens, I mean, we're not going to be talking about it when the event happens because everybody's going to get caught up in the excitement. Yeah, exactly. And it is very exciting. But um, in terms of the bid structure and how they got it, this and that, my brother worked um, in Australia. He's back in Australia now. Um, Used to work for the foreign minister and was involved with the bid for the Australian women, for Australia to host the Women's World Cup, Australia and New Zealand. And he helped that whole thing kind of come together. And so potential insight from him where I could dig up, or you can even have him on yourself. You just got to figure out the time difference. But how on earth does a country get a bid for a World Cup? How political was it? What kind of favors did you have to pull? Because that guy's got a story of having to call somebody to get a hold of princes and queens over in England to make sure that they voted in a certain direction so that Australia could get it. So. Um, there, there are some, some pretty cool stories which he could share to give some insight into how much haggling has to happen in the background and future favors have to be paid in order to get something now. Well, it's crazy. You see it on the local level, too. I mean, this was the big story when, you know, America's hosting a World Cup soon. The big story around the host cities being announced was that my hometown, Washington, D.C., did not get picked, despite yes. being the nation's capital, to host one of those games. And it's the same thing. What do you have to promise? What package do you have to put together? What promotions do you have to do to, yeah. to get that? And that was a huge story this summer. Um, so there's just so many layers to this. It's insane. It's Chris Chitavisky joining me for Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Chris, we've covered a lot of ground here. Thank you so much for your insight on your team being open and, and honest about talking about opening up conference play, what you're looking for going forward. It's always a pleasure to have you in the studio, my man. Two games this weekend. Tell people where they can find you. Yeah, we'll be playing Idaho at South Campus Stadium and Eastern Washington, Idaho on Friday at, oh man, is it 3 p.m.? Now I just sound like an idiot. Yep, 3 p.m. Let's go with that one. Um, check the website, gogrizz.com, to actually confirm. There's a bunch of social media stuff coming out about that today, too. And then on Sunday at 1 p.m., uh, Sunday we're also going to honor our alumni. So I think that's a pretty cool one to come out to. You're going to see a large group, um, potentially 45 coming back with families, um, a lot of historically significant players, and to be honest, people who haven't been here for a long time because of COVID. So I'm really excited to get the alumni group back in town and just see everybody from the 90s, from the 2000s to uh, now. 
everybody coming back into town just to celebrate. Yeah, I saw Caitlin Rogers was around yes, last weekend. Right. How, how's she doing? She's doing well. We'll see what she ends up. Um, mainland Europe somewhere is her goal, so she wants to continue playing, which is pretty cool. And then I saw Rita Lang over in Portland. She wants to continue doing stuff too, so I'm seeing everybody everywhere. It's, it's fun. And then I got a Taylor Hansen signed jersey today in the mail. So boom, that's exciting. That might be worth catching up with her at some point too. I'm planning to because not only is it so cool that she, Taylor Hansen, who graduated last year from Montana, team's all-time leader in, in minutes, not only ended up playing in the NWSL, she's playing for San Diego Wave, which is an expansion team, but is also the best team in the league this year. Yeah, they're doing really well. <laughs> They've sort of taken the league by storm. And so I just think it's such an incredible experience to not only be in that league around the best players in the world, mm -hmm. but to be around a team that is doing so well. Um, yes. So I would definitely love to have her back on at some point. Yeah, we can try to figure that out for sure. And I mean, she's playing with Alex Morgan, Abby Delcom, just that whole roster is future stars for the women's national team, current stars, current stars for other national teams. It's just such a fun environment. And the way that they've structured the club with the advisory board and the president, being Jill Ellis, being involved with that stuff, it's just... It's a really cool mix. Um, a lot of fun things happening there and a lot of growing for her from being all-time leader in minutes to being a rookie in the league. And yep. what does that feel like? You know, that's a, that's a fun story in itself and how she does mentally with that. I always come into podcasts with Chris Chitovitsky with a bunch of ideas. I always get a bunch of them out there and I always leave with more. Yeah. <laughs> so Chris, thank you again for your time. It's been great having you as always. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is brought to you by Canby Tap House and Coffee. Just across from South Campus Stadium down there on South Higgins, that's where I've been going after calling some of those games, and we talked about that. Those games take a lot out of you, Chris. I know yes. being on the field, yes, yeah, but also focusing on them for two straight hours up in the booth. And after that, all I want to do is just go across the street and Camby's great. Yep. go to Camby and yep. have a nice beer. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is also brought to you in part by Blackfoot Telecommunications. Blackfoot a great sponsor of everything that we do here at ESPN Missoula, as well as Skyline Sports. Whatever your business's communication needs, Blackfoot Communications can help you out with that. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is also brought to you by Zootown Sports Cards. Great selection of sports cards and memorabilia. This week's Soccer Card Spotlight focuses on the Topps Bundesliga Chrome 2021-22 set. The Bundesliga is such a fun league. If you're just looking to get into the sport, you want to see a lot of goals, you want to see a lot of action, you want to see some Americans playing overseas, get into the Bundesliga. That's the top flight league in Germany. This week, Zootown Sports Cards hooked me up with a couple packs of that Topps Bundesliga set for 2021-22. Some fun pulls, a sequentially numbered refractor of the young Bayer Leverkusen center back Odilon Kosunu. Didn't really know much about him before pulling that card. He hasn't been playing for that long, but looks like he's a pretty good prospect for Bayer Leverkusen. Also got an insert of Bayern Munich's great midfielder, playmaker, scorer, Thomas Muller. Go down and check out the soccer card collection there at Zootown Sports Cards, 2100 Stevens Avenue in the Stevens Center. They've got sets and products from every league, Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, Champions League, and Europa League. And they've got some beautiful cards under glass in their display case as well. Every time I head down there, I spare a glance for a gorgeous Jamie Vardy double relic card that they've got in their display case there. Haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, but I might here soon. Zootown Sports Cards. 
your hub for all things sports card and memorabilia collecting in the Garden City. If you're an experienced collector or if you're just getting started, head on down there. Hillary and Jason are super helpful, super knowledgeable, and they love to answer questions as well. So don't worry if you're just getting into the sports card collecting game. Zootown Sports Cards is the place to go. Thank you to all our sponsors. Thank you to Chris Chudovitsky. This is Andrew Howden signing off. Soccer and Stone Smoke.